and welcome back to the F1 Girls. I'm Amy. And I'm Rihanna. And today we're going to be doing an episode that's a little bit different to our normal ones. We are going to be doing a beginner's guide to F1. Yeah, so we yeah we, we want to do an, uh, an episode like this because we've um, got so many um, friends and family who've been so nice to support us doing this. Um, a lot of people say, oh, well, we love what you're doing, but we just we don't really understand what you're talking about. And obviously that's completely fair enough. We do go into a lot of detail about some complicated stuff if you haven't seen F1 before. So we wanted to do uh, like an introduction video to what F1 is and just some of like the simple terminology and what it's about. So for anyone who just wants to listen or wants to get into F1, it'll be the perfect thing to just listen to just to help get your head around it a bit more. Yeah, I honestly, when I first started watching this, I um, really wished that I, there was something out there like this to, for me to just listen to and be like, oh, OK, I get it now. Like have people explain things to me in a way that I can understand. So, yeah, I think that's why we've decided that it's probably a good idea to do this so that people can sort of understand what we're talking about, obviously, when we are. Um, talking about the races exactly um I kind of want to do a little bit of a disclaimer um we're not experts and we haven't studied the rule books so if there's one or two things that aren't quite word for word please don't hate us because, <laughs> because we're just fans and we're still learning every day we're learning new terminology and different things that we didn't know and obviously this is a sport that the rules constantly change so we're going to be trying to say it as simply as possible um but yeah if there's one or two things that we just don't know then that's something that we're going to work on if we make any more videos like this in the future we're going to make sure that yeah we are properly revised oh yeah we by absolutely no means are experts we are just fans who just like to watch the sport and like to sort of understand it more so this is actually helping us as well because there are some things that we were looking into that we didn't actually know which was quite interesting. We'll, like Rihanna said, we're learning every day. So we're going to start with what is Formula One. So we looked up the actual definition of Formula One, and um, it says that Formula One is a series of races held at different venues around the world of the fastest open wheel, open cabin, single seated, four wheel auto um, in the world. That is a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is definitely not a, a simple explanation and when I first read that I had to read it twice I was like what <laughs> but it's true it's true it's I think simply is basically the fastest motor, motor racing basically you the top speeds are ridiculous so yeah that's the thing that I probably would take out of that definition yeah definitely it is obviously the fastest competition in the world and I find it one of the most intriguing competitions, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose you think about it, if you're going that fast, you need to, everything has to be done so quickly and everything has got to be so thought out and practised. And it is, it's just really, it's really nice just to watch because you know how much hard work they put in, how they've basically been training all their lives and everyone on the team has obviously been working so so hard so it's it's almost it's almost like a performance like it's everyone's hard work just like paying off which is really nice yeah there's absolutely absolutely no margin for error in these races which is why it is so exciting and so thrilling to watch because when something wrong does happen you kind of like on the edge of your seat almost yeah exactly and I think maybe to maybe further explain that definition a bit more and we're going to go a lot more into this but um 
there are usually um i'd say around 20 races a, a season the season runs from march through to usually end of november december time um every i think there's a race every couple of weeks and it's usually in a different location but obviously with coronavirus last year we've had quite a few races in the same location and basically they're all um the drivers and the constructors are trying to get points to win the constructors and drivers championship at the end yeah um so we're gonna go into sort of a brief history of formula one so formula one was actually it first took place at silverstone in 1950 that's such a long time ago Um, 71 yeah. years obviously we had our seven the 70 year anniversary last year yeah is is I suppose me only being what 20 that's, <laughs> it is obviously 1950 such a so long ago for me so that, that's crazy but I'm sure some parents and grandparents have <laughs> would laugh at me by saying that um but I suppose yeah what we can take from that is obviously I think the beginning the beginnings of Formula One where it was more it was kind of self-funded so if, if you were rich you'd basically make the car yourself and well you'd pay people to do it and it'd just be rich people going around one of their friends racetracks kind of thing and I, I think as time goes on obviously it gained popularity um, and then I think it just spread I think I think the main fan base is in Europe that's when um, a lot of the races are scheduled to there's a majority of the teams and drivers are from Europe but I think now that we're in the 21st century, it's a completely global thing. There's races everywhere and there's been drivers from probably most countries in the world. So it's really nice to see that it's progressed from a more elitist thing to a, a sport for everyone, which is which is just really nice. Yeah, so like Rihanna said, um, at the beginning, it was sort of just th- those who could afford to um, either pay for their cars to be built or build them themselves and after eight years the constructors championship was brought in which meant the teams were able to sort of start building their cars and um, it was more of a team sport rather than an individual individual sport yeah and (laughs) moving on from that and the constructors championship was introduced in 1958 which really hammers home the um I think that's when you start seeing the sponsorship and the teams and the more money going into it because it wasn't just about individual drivers anymore. It was more about teams. And obviously when there's teams of people, people want to put money in. And I think that that just gave the sport the nudge it needed to start growing across countries and just be more of a profit-generated sport in that sense. Yeah, definitely. So at that point, there was um, two championships within formula one there was the drivers championship and the constructors championship so the drivers championship was obviously focusing on um the drivers and their positions in the races and then gaining points from said positions and the constructors championships is um more the actual team and um the constructors of the engine and of the car and they they gain their points through where the drivers get the cars to in the races yeah and I suppose that almost moves on to our next point I feel like a lot of the teams and whether it's a an actual Formula One team or whether it's just a a company that makes car parts and and racing car parts and things like that there's a lot of synergy between them and they usually so you have a works team such as well last year's like Renault they make all the engines themselves they can supply basically themselves with everything they need a team more like Red Bull is not a works team. They have to buy in things like engines and that. Um, so 
although you have a team, usually the ownership will also change. So obviously, constructors can jump around. So a good example of that is obviously Aston Martin were with Red Bull for a little while, but then they decided to take over Racing Point and make themselves Aston Martin a team. So it, you can see constructors like to either be involved as much as they want or not so much and just almost flip around almost to what to what their business is doing. Yeah, so it's like with uh, McLaren and Renault. So McLaren built the actual car and the body of the car and all the ins and outs of that. But then they got their engine supplied by Renault and on the champion um, on the championship tables, it will come up as McLaren Renault rather than just McLaren because obviously Renault are the ones supplying the engine. Yeah, exactly. And it just shows how all the cars are different. And this this is different to any of the um, associated um, championships. So to go in a bit about that, so you have um, racing like Formula 3 and Formula 2, which are the pre-stages to Formula 1, where usually younger drivers, they will try and work their way up to Formula 1. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, definitely Formula 2 and I think Formula 3 as well. I'm not that educated on them too. I think they all have to have the same cars. They're all pretty much the same. There's no real difference in them. But with Formula 1, it's all about each team making their own car. And usually, not that the driver isn't important, but the car will very heavily decide whether the driver is going to be a champion or not, really. Um, or do well in that sense because each car would have had a different amount of money put into it different knowledge put into it because they're all different teams so yeah I think that's the key difference with Formula One to maybe any of the associated championships yeah definitely so that leads us on to our next um, point quite quite nicely we're going to be talking about the teams and the drivers so in the 2021 season there is 10 teams who are taking part with two cars and drivers each so that is 20 <laughs> I had to really think about that then that is 20 cars and drivers um who are taking part in the Formula One season um there can actually be up to a maximum of 13 teams mean with two cars each meaning there would be 26 cars on the grid yeah so just to go down the list of who is in the current championship, we've got Mercedes, Red Bull Racing, McLaren, Aston Martin, Ferrari, Alpine, Alphatari, Alfa Romeo, Asef One, and Williams. Um, they all have longer official names, but you know, we've that's how everyone says it and it's nicely shortened to a, a nice mouthful. But yeah, the way I said that is probably goes off how well each car has done in the last five years. So Mercedes, Red Bull have been fairly dominating um, the last five years. Mercedes have actually won every every year since 20, 2016. Am I saying that? Or even longer? Uh, yeah, I think it was 2016. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they pretty much dominated, but Red Bull has always been very close behind. And then we've got what we class as um, midfield teams, However, Ferrari, we would have classed as a as a top team, but this, well, 2020, I, I don't know what happened in their car. They would, they basically demoted themselves to a midfield team. So midfield teams would be the middle. And then the lower few teams, we would say, were probably Williams and Haas, who, although Haas, they were comfortably a midfield team a few years ago, they've, again, demoted themselves to 
back of the pack and yeah Williams have not had a good historical record over the last five years so they have not won a race in a very long time yeah so obviously like we said there's two drivers for each team so um Mercedes have Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. Um, Red Bull have Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. McLaren have Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo. Aston Martin have Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. Ferrari have Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Alpine have Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso. Alpha Tauri have Pierre, Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda. Alfa Romeo have Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi. Haas have Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. And Williams have Nicholas Latifi and George Russell. Wow, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take a breath there? You, you, know, you came up for air then. <laughs> but yeah, um, it'd probably be nice to do a little bit of background information on each one. Obviously, there's that's a lot of drivers, so we're not going to spend too much on each but I suppose Lewis Hamilton's a great place to start he is a multiple multiple world champion he is definitely I'd say the favorite for winning this season which is fairly close with Max I think his teammate Bottas is unlikely to beat him he's never beaten him before and he's not showing a good track record of doing that so yeah Lewis Hamilton is probably on the highest pay as well I think he was in the past pushing 50 million a year and um, so I crazy amount of money. I could not imagine getting 50 million a year. I think it I think the stat was like 52, I think, for either the 2018 or 2019. Yeah, I don't know if he's still on that. It's probably more now that he's won <laughs> more champions. <laughs> but yeah, that just shows how much teams will pay huge amounts of money for good talent. And obviously Lewis is probably one of the top talents, definitely. So that paycheck is earned. 100%. Yeah, that, that takes us on to Valtteri Bottas. He has been in the sport a while and obviously he, he's worked his way up to the Mercedes seat um, yeah, from Finland and he's just, yeah, doing his thing and hopefully, <laughs> I'm not trying to say any negative things because I actually do like him, but I just, I really do want him to win a championship and I think it's a shame that he can be in arguably the best car on the grid and just not, he didn't even get a he didn't even get a podium last time. I feel like if you're in that car, you basically need to be in second or first every time. So that seat there is looking very precarious because obviously we'll explain maybe a bit later how important a driver's market is and how non-permanent your seat will be if you don't perform well. So that would be interesting to see in the future. Yeah, so then we've got Max Verstappen who is one of the younger drivers surprisingly on the grid he is only 23 he's literally the same age as me um and yeah he is one of the top competitors for um the championship he has been closely following Hamilton quite a bit in the last couple um seasons and now he's sort of getting to the point where he actually has a very good chance of winning the championship so and then we have Sergio Perez also known as Checo he has been in the sport since 2011 he's been bouncing between uh, teams since then and yeah he's one of the ones who he's a big one and brings in a lot of sponsorship money so yeah many teams want to keep him <laughs> which is I think that that was weird why he lost his seat I know it's it's all about money Okay, moving on to McLaren. Um, so yeah, that's got 
Daniel Ricardo and Lando Norris in. So yeah, Daniel Ricardo is a very well seasoned driver. He has been in the sport for many, many years. Um, he has he was initially part of the Red Bull drivers plan or uh, scheme. So he started off in I think Toro Rosso, spent some time at Red Bull, um, and then he decided to leave um, Red Bull rather dramatically as was shown a lot on Drive to Survive um, and he moved to Renault. Hasn't had a huge amount of success. I mean, he got a few podiums last year, which was brilliant to see, but for Daniel's level of talent, we really would have hoped he would be a championship contender. So hopefully now that he's moved to McLaren this year, um, that he'll be able to start doing that. Uh, He also has a very talented teammate, Lando Norris. And this is his second year. Third year. Third year. This is his third year now. He he's one of the he's one of the youngest on the grid, but he does not lack talent, <laughs> to say the least. He is very comfortable in that um, McLaren car, and obviously with his performance, I think the first two performances that he's had this year, he's obviously been building up his confidence the past um, two years, and that's just paying off now. He, I'm not going to say he's a championship contender, but he's definitely a podium contender. And that's where you want to be so early on in your F1 career. So moving on to Aston Martin, we have got Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. So Sebastian Vettel is another veteran of the sport. He has been in it for quite a while and he's he's just moved from Ferrari to Aston Martin. So that was a big, a big jump for him. I suppose we also want to mention he's a multiple time world champion as well. He's Oh yeah, we should probably put that in. He's a four time world champion. <laughs> yeah he's he's definitely one of the most decorated drivers on the grid at the moment so yeah do carry on (laughs) (laughs) thank you i I feel like we need to say that (laughs) we should probably mention that he's a four-time world champion yeah that that would (laughs) be a point and then we have his teammate lance stroll now there is some controversy around well when he started in the sport around him because his dad basically owns one of the teams and um, Lance has been driving for um, that team and um, people just thought that he was there because his dad like, owned it and because of the money that they had. When in reality, he is a very talented driver. So Yeah, I think... I, think, I, I don't think his, uh, his dad's financial position did him any harm. And I think maybe he, I don't think he doesn't deserve it. I think he's an absolutely amazing driver. And obviously money can only take you so far. You do actually need to have a talent. But I feel like there's probably, there's only 20 seats and there's probably about 27 people who are worthy for it. So I think maybe at times that definitely gave him an edge over probably about five of those other people who haven't got sponsorship money behind them. Because I think what a lot of people don't realise is as much as we'd want F1 just to be about talent, it doesn't tend to be all the time. And basically teams are businesses. And if a driver comes in with sponsorship money supporting them, then they're going to look a lot more appealing to a company rather than someone who is just talented. And not to say that, that all companies will do that. Some people will take people on who have absolutely no financial backing. And other times, not so talented drivers will be chosen because they come with a load of sponsorship deals and loads of money backing them. So it does depend on the, the team's financial position and things like that. But yeah, I think 
Lance is definitely a brilliant driver, but the financial position behind him definitely isn't doing him any harm. Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah, so that moves us on to Ferrari, uh, which has Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Um, so, yeah, just mentioning a little bit more on Ferrari. Ferrari is obviously such a, such a memorable and basically at the forefront of F1, really. they Their involvement has been in F1 for nearly pretty much all of it. They've got so many constructors, champions, um, championships under under their belt. So they're definitely one of the top teams. Um, and I think every team has blips every now and again. And I think this is just another blip for Ferrari at the moment. So usually they would be up there with Mercedes and Red Bull. But unfortunately, they have uh, toppled down the ranking to more of a midfield team. Um, but they definitely have some brilliant drivers. So Charles Leclerc um, won many, many, many races back in 20 well many races he won many races and quite a few poles in 2019 and quite consistently um out qualified his teammate Sebastian Vettel who's just recently moved um from Ferrari to Aston Martin um he is yeah a very still a very young driver he's still in his early 20s um and yeah we've seen that he can win win races get multiple podiums and hopefully when Ferrari have a more contending car he'll be back maybe even to contending for a championship but yeah that's a little way off in the future I think yeah just and another point about Charles though he has got a five-year contract with um Ferrari which is pretty much unheard of um in the sport yeah. like it is so hard for drivers to get contracts for that long so he has done insanely well to be able to get into Ferrari first of all and then be able to gain a five-year contract. Yeah, that's very true. But I also think that more, I think even more reflects on how precarious um, Ferrari's position is because they, I think they realise that they need Charles more than Charles needs them at the moment because they didn't even give, um, like when Schumacher was at Ferrari, they didn't even give him that long contract because Ferrari back then knew that, any anyone would want to drive for them and I think that's still kind of the case with Ferrari because they're synonymous with with um, success and things like that but at the moment if if you said to everyone on the grid do you want to Ferrari seat a lot of them would probably be a lot more hesitant and probably a few would probably say no because the the car just isn't it isn't championship ready I think so I think that although yeah Charles an amazing to secure that contract I think it also shows that Ferrari need him a lot more than he needs them if you know what I mean mm-hmm. but yeah that moves us on to um Carlos Sainz um he was also um well yeah he's been in the sport for quite a few years now he's not brand new but he's not he's not up there with Lewis Hamilton who's been who's been doing it for over 10 years now um and he actually started in the the Red Bull driving program as well right didn't he uh, uh, yeah I think so I think he did um I'm not that well um <laughs> read up on what Colin Sice has done but he's been a bit of a team jumper as well he's been at um he's been at Renault he's been now he's at uh, he was at McLaren and now he's over to Ferrari so he's he's had a good run in quite a few teams um and I think one thing we can probably say about him is he's he's consistent and he's he's just strong and he's always brings a good performance so I think that's definitely a good move from Ferrari to want consistency because it's always 50-50, especially with young drivers. Although they, they're willing to take risks that go well, there's also risks that don't go well. And I think it's also good to have 
a consistently good driver. So yeah, that's definitely good for Carlos and it's good for Ferrari. So And then moving on, we have Alpine and uh, their drivers, Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso. So we're going to start with Esteban. He is only 24. I didn't know this until I looked it up. He, yeah, he's still quite young. Um, he started in F1 in 2016, so he's been in it for quite quite some time. Um, so he started out in Manor in um, 2016, went to Force India, and then um, became the reserve driver for Mercedes, and then went to Renault in 2020 and then obviously Renault rebranded and is now Alpine so he has quite a bit of experience we don't really see much of him um on at the races and on the grid um because he's one of those uh, drivers who is just consistently in the midfield I think um what was um interesting about um Esteban's um seating arrangement if we can call it that so I, rem- I remember when he lost his seat um in force india um and then i think i don't know if he was officially promised it but i felt that he was he was promised Bottas's seat um i think in mercedes so i think that's what he was hanging on for but that but Bottas was performing well he was i think consistently getting second pretty much every time so i, I don't know so obviously Toto wouldn't have wanted to have ruined that that streak they've got. So he ended up going to um, uh, Renault slash Alpine. So I think you can see that the top teams definitely saw something in him. But I feel like he almost hasn't lived up to that because he's he although he's he's not he's not in a bad car and he hasn't been in a bad car. But if you look at what um, because uh, he was um, Daniel Ricciardo's teammate. Daniel Ricciardo was able to get a couple of podiums in a Renault car, and Esteban wasn't really close to doing that at all. So I think he's definitely got a long way to go to developing his driving um, to make it more championship worthy, if you get what I mean. Yeah. So then that leads us on quite nicely to Fernando Alonso, um, who is actually one of the longest running drivers on the grid. Um, on and off. <laughs> so he made his debut in F1 in 2001. So 20 years ago, which is insane. Um, and he is a two-time world champion. He was at Ferrari for quite a while, wasn't he? He he did a nice long run run with Ferrari, but he didn't. Did he? Did he, he didn't win with Ferrari? Did he? Because it was like 2005-ish, wasn't it? That he won. Yeah, it was 2000 and 2005, 2006. And who was he with? Uh, Renault. Renault. Oh yeah, yeah. That's why I think he would. I think that's why he wanted to come back with Renault slash Alpine, um, because obviously he won with them. And I, th- I think, yeah, the whole thing with him coming back is he wanted to win another championship, and I think he really wanted to do that with Ferrari. And he had a nice long stint with Ferrari and realised that it wasn't going to happen, which is so unfortunate because I think he he just wants he he just wants another championship. Yeah, so he has been with uh, Renault, McLaren, Ferrari, and there's one other at the very start, but I can't remember the name of it. 
It's a long time ago. 2001. He was a reserve driver at one point, very early on. I think he was in it. For, he made his debut, became a reserve driver, and then came back again. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. Oh, he was Renault test driver in 2002. There we go. Oh, yeah, there we go. I don't know where I got the <laughs> I don't think they were even... <laughs> even, like, what? I don't even know. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so AlphaTauri, um, they their drivers are Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda. Um, AlphaTauri is a team that basically trains, well, officially or unofficially, basically trains drivers to move up to Red Bull Racing. So that's their kind of sister team. And usually people fresh out of Formula 2 um, or a new driver will go into AlphaTauri, have a few years in AlphaTauri, then they'll be promoted to Red Bull Racing. And almost vice versa, if someone isn't performing as well at Red Bull Racing, they all get demoted to AlphaTauri, depending on whether they are still wanting. That's exactly what happened with Pierre Gasly. So he spent, a, I think, one, a couple of, one or two years in um, AlphaTauri. I think he got promoted a little bit earlier than he was maybe ready for, but that was because um, Daniel Ricciardo dramatically left. So he was promoted. Um, he just didn't really gel with the car very well. Um, and just, he, he didn't perform badly, but he performed badly for what a Red Bull car can do, and especially what his teammate Max was doing. So he was um, kind of demoted down to AlphaTauri. Um, and then he was switched with um, Alexander Albon, who was an AlphaTauri driver at the time. He went up to Red Bull. Um, but he's been switched out um, for Sergio Perez, as we've explained, but he hasn't been demoted um, to AlphaTauri. He's just been given a reserve driver position and a brand new rookie driver called Yuki Tsunoda um, has been promoted from Formula 2 up to um, AlphaTauri. Um, and it's, yeah, it's nice to see a Japanese driver because we haven't had one in quite a while. So it's nice to see so many more um, countries and cultures represented in the sport. Um, so, yeah, and you can tell that he's very, very talented. So it'll be very interesting to see how Yuki and Pierre race together and how the driver's market will play out with either them going to Red Bull or maybe moving teams um, because this all gets rather dramatic. So, yeah, that's going to be an exciting one. It is. Um, so we're going to move on to Alfa Romeo Racing. Um, they have the two drivers, Kimi Raikkonen, and Antonio Giovinazzi. So I'm going to start with Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen, or the Iceman, as he is known. Um, <laughs> he's just so like I love watching him in interviews. He's just not crack a smile. He's just like, uh, did you see that? Did you see that one where it was like, um, what's the first app you go on in the morning or something? And he was just like, I just don't. <laughs> That was so funny. <laughs> yeah, so he's another veteran of um, F1. He started in 2001. And um, like many uh, like many drivers who have been in the sport for that long, he has bounced between different teams. He's also one that did actually have a break from F1 and then came back in. So, yeah, he's one of those who's sort of up there with one with the top drivers he's just because he's in a midfield team it's not really showing as much and his teammate Antonio Giovinazzi I love saying his name (laughs) 
Um, he made his F1 debut in 2017. He, again, is one of those who you just don't really see much of um, in the race. You don't hear much about him during the race. Um, he is very much in the uh, midfield and I feel like that is where he's going to be staying for a while. Um, just to give them um, going back, uh, going back to Kimmy, um, he does, he, he is a championship winner or was he a construct? Yeah, he, he won 20, uh, 2007, right? He's a championship winner. Um, I feel really bad. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Championship winner of 2007. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I feel like we need to give him a little bit more hype because obviously he's been in the sport for such a long time. He's raced Ferrari for a long time and he was actually the last person to win a Constructors for um, Kimmy, I think. For Kimmy? For Ferrari. <laughs> Kimmy the Constructors, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so that almost just shows how, how long Ferrari have been waiting for a, a championship win um since yeah 2007 was the last time that was with him um and he yeah he was with ferrari all the way up until fairly lately and then yeah he's gone down to alfa romeo racing which again is a similar to alfa tari it's a kind of a sister team where uh it's training for the people in the ferrari driving academy um i think Charles was in that and obviously now um uh, antonio giovanazzi is in that as well um and it basically trains them hopefully to be Ferrari ready by hopefully a few years into their Formula One career and um, just for some more clarification perfect uh, <laughs> it's me now again I was when we were when we were reading this I was going like who's doing what and I was like I really hope I don't get Haas but I got I got Haas that's fine <laughs> I mean <laughs> with this you've got to talk about Michael Schumacher and Mick being an absolute legacy yeah exactly so yeah for anyone who doesn't know um so Mick Schumacher is the son of Michael Schumacher and Michael Schumacher is uh well yeah I suppose at the moment currently he is the he well he's equal to world champion wins with Lewis at the moment right yeah um, yeah so Michael Schumacher he was in Formula One from the 90s through to the um it 2000 when was his last one it was like 2011 or something wasn't it something like that yeah so he he had a, he had a, I think so he his kind of heyday was like um late 90s early 2000s he was winning multiple multiple um more champion yeah championships he his last entry was 2012 2012 so yeah I think he had a little bit of a break and then came back um and yeah so he is an absolute legend um and now his son, Mick Schumacher, has just come up through F2 and has um, scored a seat with Haas. Um, and this is his very first year in F1. So, yeah, we haven't seen what he can do yet, but he's been what well, he won F2, right? Um, so it's unquestionable that he's an amazing driver. And, yeah, this is we, we can always see that he's, he is destined to a Ferrari seat at some point. So whether that be within the next uh, maybe three to five years. Is, is probable depending on how his performance is and then his teammate Nikita Maskin uh <laughs> I don't want I really don't want to be negative but it's hard not to be I he so he came I think sixth in F2 
uh, and he got promoted to um, F1. However, his dad also bought a massive chunk or sponsored a massive chunk of Haas. So you guys can make up your own minds whether that had anything to do with it. Uh, <laughs> um, I think, so the old drivers for Haas were Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean. And unfortunately, we spoke about Roman before. He had that absolutely horrific crash last year. But it was very clear that both of them still want to stay in F1. And I I personally would not bring Nikita in over them too. But then again, obviously, it goes back to what we were talking about. People bring money. So they might not be as talented, but they bring a lot of money. And obviously, we know Haas is a very financially precarious team. So unfortunately, it had to go that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think the talent was skimped a bit with him. And I just don't think he was ready for F1. I think a few more years in F2, he would really would have seasoned himself and gained better skills. But I think I think Nikita's taking up his space for somebody else at the moment, unfortunately, and has only been kept in for his financial position. But again, that's that's for other people to make up their minds. That's just my my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not even going to comment on Nikita Matspin because I have some very strong opinions, but they just happen to be negative and I don't want to be negative. <laughs> so we're going to move on to our final team, which is Williams, and they have Nicholas Latifi and George Russell. So we're going to start with Nicholas Latifi. He actually only started F1 last year. So he has had a bit of a um, bit of a time of it um, coming in in the middle of a pandemic. It's a shame because he doesn't because he's with Williams and because Williams is probably the slowest slash second slowest on the grid. They get Williams get barely any screen time unless they're crashing with Valtteri Bottas. So <laughs> so you never really get to see what Williams are doing unless they they skid off or something. So you never actually get to see them properly race. So I think only time will tell with um, Nicholas Latifi. But yeah, I'm sure he's, if he's made it this far, I think he's he's obviously talented to be here. But yeah, we just haven't been able to see much. Yeah, he's worked his way up since like 2012. So in 2012, he was doing Formula 3, at the British and Italian versions. He was in the Toyota Racing Series. Um, he was in European Formula 3. 2013 he was in the Porsche Carrera Cup um 2014 Formula Renault series uh he's been in GP2 series that's quite a CV he's got though yeah <laughs> and then he went up into Formula 2 and has obviously made his way up to Formula 1 so he's obviously proven him he's proven himself in all those series and yeah hopefully he'll be able to given time he'll be able to prove himself in an F1 car and then that nicely leads us on to George Russell he's one of our favorites <laughs> um he made his debut in 2019 and like uh, his teammate he has quite the roster when it comes to other championships that he's been in he's worked his way up again formula two formula three uh, formula four he was in he did the rent uh, formula renault um and he actually won formula two in 2018 
Um, he won the GP3 series in 2017 and he was the Formula 4 champion in 2014. Yeah, quite quite a CV. And I suppose I think the also important thing to note is that George Russell, I think, is a favourite to a Mercedes seat potentially in the future. Um, he got a, a go at the, was it the steering Grand No, not steering Grand Prix. Um, the Bahrain Grand Prix. The, whatever the other one was called <laughs> um so yeah he had a go and did amazingly well um so he's definitely one of the talents to watch yeah um, he's part of the um junior driver program as well so he's he's in with a better chance i reckon than most other drivers um and obviously there's a big thing at the minute with Russell and Bottas not just them crashing but Bottas thinks that George is sort of after his seat and you can obviously that's obviously causing quite a bit of tension so yeah um I think it's also good to mention maybe a little bit more about Williams so um in a more current events um Williams although they they're not performing great at the moment they have a very long history of doing well um they definitely had a period uh, don't quiz me when <laughs> they had a period when they were were winning championships and were probably the best car on the grid and everybody wanted William seat. Um, it's just been unfortunate over the, the last, I won't even say like 10 years. They have just not really, well, maybe early, early 2010s. They were like, okay. Ish. But um, yeah, the yeah. last championship they won both constructors and drivers was 1997. So 20 four years ago nearly yeah they've they've been on a bit of a downward trajectory but also um I think Mercedes offered Williams whether they wanted to be their official like sister team um so a bit like um Alfa Romeo Racing and um Alfa Tauri but they declined that um because obviously if you if you sign up to be a, a sister team the bigger team will never really let you win so and I think that was definitely a good well it was a move from them because it showed that we want to be in a place one day where we can be winning championships again we don't want to be limited by being a sister team um but you do see a lot of the Mercedes um young drive program people going into Williams so although they're not officially a sister team they're like informally a place where they can go <laughs> who where they may end up in Mercedes just like um George hopes to be so yeah, just, just a little bit more background information on Williams. And I also want to point out that when George was looking at getting into Formula One, he actually made a PowerPoint for Williams as to why they should pick him. And obviously his PowerPoint skills must be top tier because he got in and I am jealous of his PowerPoint skills. <laughs> Oh, I used to, I used to make powerpoints to my mum, but I wish I could get a dog. Uh, obviously, that didn't work. Um, so I think I might just take some tips off him if he can powerpoint his way into an F1 seat. <laughs> yeah, get get George to do you a powerpoint. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> okay, so moving on from uh, drivers and teams, we're going to start talking about how the weekend is actually set up. So on a race weekend it it's a big deal it is a full three-day event um with three practices 
one and two on the Friday, then free practice one and qualifying on the Saturday and obviously the race on the Sunday. Um, I think you meant free practice three right on the Saturday. What did I say? <laughs> free practice one. <laughs> I'll start again. <laughs> free practice three and qualifying on Saturday and the race on Sunday. Not to confuse anyone. <laughs> no. Yes, that, that, that's how it's traditionally set up. Um, we have had a recent um, news, news story um, about something called sprint races, but we'll get into that once we've explained the breakdown of a normal um, race weekend. So yeah, pre-practice is basically an opportunity for um, the teams and the drivers to go out on the circuit over the Friday and the Saturday morning just to see how the car feels in the track, make any tweaks. Um, the drivers can communicate with the teams of anything that needs changing, how the track conditions feel, that kind of thing. And basically kind of just work out what kind of strategy they want to use, how, and basically just how well the car feels. Um, however, I, I kind of don't really like watching free practice because what happens a lot of the time, um, so free practice one and two, it's just them going out, just, you know, they're not, they're not trying to go full speed. Um, free practice three on the Saturday. I mean, there's a they usually um, it's expected that they will just try and go all out, but a lot of them don't, and that's where the phrase sandbagging comes from. Where they Mercedes like doing this, they'll they'll go around. They won't look particularly fast in FP3, but then they come out on qualifying and get a one two, and you think, well, where did that come from? So I always find free practice a little bit deceptive for a viewer if you're not like a hundred percent clued up and. Even sometimes I don't think I'm 100% cleaned up. So pre-practice is definitely a very confusing thing to watch to begin with. But yeah, once you get into it, I think it's fairly straightforward. Yeah. So then um, on the Saturday afternoon, generally it is qualifying. This is split into three different sections. So the first qualifying, all 20 cars go out. They have 18 minutes to basically try and get into the top 15. Um, the slowest five cars get eliminated and they will and they will start the race in the position that they um, got in that qualifying. So between 16 and 20. Then qualifying two, same setup. The last five, uh, the, the slowest five cars get um, eliminated and they make up. 11 to 15 on the grid and they have and the 15 cars that go out have uh, 15 minutes to get those fastest laps in and then obviously the uh, final qualifying is 12 minute uh, qualifying and um, that is the top 10 positions yeah exactly so yeah once that once that order is all set and um, we'll move on to race day on the Sunday um the race will usually, well, it will start having a formation lap um, and this will, is basically a chance to get some some heat into the tyres to make sure that they're they're ready to go. And then, yeah, you, the race starts and, um, yeah, the race begins. <laughs> it's a set distance and it's usually between, depending on the length of the circuit, um, how many laps can range between, like, 50 and, like, 75, depending on where it is, but it's usually usually around 60-ish laps but yeah it depends on the the circuit and it depends yeah 
on that and then once people finish uh, you obviously have first second third um and their podiums um but points um drivers points um and obviously that flows over to constructors points as well the top 10 positions will get points anywhere between well anywhere between 26 and one yeah so um, first gets 25, but there's also a point up for grabs for fastest lap. So if you can get first and fast lap, you can get 26 points. Yeah, I think it's uh, also a good point, uh, thing to point out that the race has to take place within a two-hour window. Um, so they basically have two hours com to complete the entire race. Um, so that includes if the race is stopped for any reason and is under red flag, um, they still have to try and make sure that they get it in that two hour period. Exactly. And I, I suppose that, that um, there's, there's apps, there's so many um, things we could go into, but I think the podcast would be about four hours long if we explained every single bit. So we might have to do maybe one or two more episodes just explaining all the nitty gritty bits of like what different flags mean and what things like track limits, things like that. But that's just the general overview of what happens on a race weekend. Um, and I guess that brings us through to sprint races and how how the weekend setup would shift if a sprint race was included. Um, so what the week, what the weekend would look like would be practice one would be on the Friday, like normal Friday morning. Then we'd have qualifying Friday afternoon. We have practice two, on the Saturday morning and then sprint qualifying. So the qualifying they did on the Friday would be qualifying for the positions for the sprint race. Sprint races are basically a shortened race um, that will basically decide the positions for the actual race on the Sunday. Yeah, so with the sprint race, there is actually points up for grabs um, for the first, second and third positions as well. Yeah, so like Rihanna said, um, the first qualifying will be for that sprint race. It will be the same format as a regular qualifying. Um, and then when, the, when we do the sprint race qualifying, it is between 25 and 30 minutes long and it is a 100 kilometre race. Yeah, so I think I actually kind of quite like the idea of a sprint race and to begin with I was like you know I was like I was like what what on earth like my brain just couldn't handle change but then I actually thought about it and thinking I mean although I think in my heart it won't actually really change who um on average will get those top three positions because you although say Hamilton qualifies well in the qualifying qualifying and then in the sprint race he spins out most of the time he probably will get first or second so I, I think in the long run it won't actually make a difference like points wise but I think excitement wise and especially for fans who are playing to go for a race weekend to see it in person I think it just brings a nice more interesting element to a race weekend so I don't have anything against it at the moment and I think it'll be quite exciting which is a big shift <laughs> yeah big shift from yesterday <laughs> um yeah, so <laughs> So far, the sprint race, um, they're looking at doing it just for, I think it was three um, races this season. And they're going to see how that that works. And it could potentially end up being the 
way that they do qualifying from next season onwards. So, yeah, I think they they sort of tested it out with Formula Two and seen that it's worked. So they want to sort of make sure it's properly it properly works with Formula One before they bring it in as a full a full thing. Yeah, that'll, that'll be definitely fun to see. Um, and I suppose that that brings us on to the last little section. So we we put out on our um, Instagram um, uh, page. Um, if, if anyone's following it already, it's the F1 girls. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you're not following it already, do give us a follow, and you can get involved in the conversation. But we put um, a question box out, and and thank you to everyone who responded. We got quite a few um, responses, so thank you. Um, and unfortunately, we haven't got a huge amount of time, so. We're basically going to explain what tyre compounds are and basically how important tyres are to the race because this is definitely one of the most popular questions that we got. And I, I hope you agree with me, Amy, in, this, in the sense that tyres can make or break a race completely, can't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, tyres is one of the most important things um, within the race. And if you get the tyres wrong it could ruin the race for the driver so yeah exactly um so just well a kind of a, a brief history on on tires if, if we're going to get technical um <laughs> so tire wise um there's uh one two three four five six seven eight nine so there's t- there's basically 10 kind of different types of tires in the old format so this is not how they're named this year but in previous years we've had Hyper softs, ultra softs, super softs, softs, mediums, hards, super hards, intermediates, and wets. And obviously, that is an extremely confusing to anyone who's trying to get their head around F1. So don't feel like you have to remember any of them because we don't call them that anymore. Um, but that, there's basically 10 tire choices. Um, the intermediates and wets are pretty easy to get your head around. If it's really, really wet, use wets. If it's kind of wet uh so it's probably not raining anymore but the track is wet you'd probably use intermediates um and then so the remaining remaining tires are now called well they're they're categorized by a a compound five system so basically all the tires that i just said are still used but instead of calling them hyper soft ultra soft super soft um three types of tires will be chosen to be brought to an F1 event and the softest, the mediumist and the hardest will just be called <laughs> soft, medium and hard. <laughs> so that's probably the simplest way to explain it. Yeah. Um, they are named on a, they technically be called C1, C2, C3, C4, C5, but that for, for a beginner, I feel like that's probably a step too complicated. So usually they'll just be soft, medium and hards. Um, so I don't know if you want to go into what soft, medium, hard means and when we need to use them. No. Okay. I'll go into, I'll go into when they're needed. So, um, hards are the tires that will last the longest, um, and they generally work better in hotter conditions. Um, but unfortunately when you have hard tires, you are compromising on speed. Um, so they will last long and they're great if you want to try and minimize the amount of pit stops. Um, however, on average, you probably would have lost more time because they don't they aren't as quick as um, medium or softs. Mediums are good around tires. Um, so you usually have to use. Um, well, yeah, you have to use two compounds of tire. Um, 
in a race so usually it will either be softs and mediums or mediums and hards you basically always use a medium pretty much and it's a good all-rounder and it will usually last longer than what Pirelli say they will so you could some people can be left out on mediums for a very very long time as we have seen in the past and they will usually last 35-ish laps yeah something like that but with tyres as soon as you put them on and if they're at the optimal temperature of uh, between 100 and 110 degrees, they will work amazingly. Every single second that you keep them on there, the performance slowly drops off. So if you wouldn't want to keep mediums on for an extraordinary amount of time, because you'd just be losing so many seconds and it wouldn't be worth it. You want to keep tires at A, the optimum temperature and B, the, not the shortest amount of time, but you, you don't want to keep them on for too long, basically. And that brings us to softs. Softs are the um, basically the fastest kind of tire. You'd want, you most likely want to use them in qualifying. No one does, um, but if you're trying to set your fastest lap, especially in Q3, you're going to be wanting to be on softs pretty much. Um, but they will burn out very, well, yeah, fairly quickly. Um, you do not want to be left out on softs for too long because you will just be so slow. So they are great for just being very fast but you they and they're not meant to be a a long game strategy so that's why tire combinations are so so important especially whether a weather system is changing from wet to dry we saw that in obviously the race um a few weeks ago tire strategy was a huge huge thing about when to move over from the wets to intermediates as we saw in Gasly's case or intermediates to slicks um slicks is just the terminology for a non- wet tire because the surface is very slick so <laughs> that's an extra extra point there but I think that's I think that's probably as brief as I can be because obviously we could go into more about um about blistering and um, graining and things like that um but okay I suppose I could actually um so you want to keep tires at the <laughs> I'm, I'm on the right now I might as well carry on <laughs> You want to keep tyres at the optimum temperature of around 100 to 110. And that's probably one of the main purposes of a formation lap is just to get some more heat in your tyres and going from side to side stops them from graining, um, which is when the outside of the tyre is too hot, but the inside of the tyre isn't hot enough. So you've got to be, it's almost like an art form trying to keep tyres tires in a good, a good temperature. And that's where issues like when safety cars come around, the tyre heat will drop and that's why you see them swerve side to side in order to get the heat back up again and just to try and keep them warm. Um, but yeah, tyre heat as well has a huge, huge effect on performance and the drivers can definitely feel if there's a drop in temperature from the ideal thing. So although that sounded probably extremely boring and confusing, I think everyone has enough information about tyres for a lifetime now. So. <laughs> Yeah, just a big thing to point out, when you're watching an F1 race, you will hear a lot on team radios, um, the um, engineers telling the drivers to um, look after the tyres and make sure the tyre management is um, perfect, because like Rihanna says, they there are tyres that do sort of wear down quite easy, and it tires like we said are a big part of the race and if you get if you don't look after the tires and you don't have that tire management like locked down then it could potentially ruin your race so 
it is a big thing. Like always seeing, so when someone either skis and they blister their tyre or they just don't look after the tyres properly, um, the tyre will start to blister and then sometimes it can even pop. And watching a Formula 1 tyre pop is so, like, funny. Um, I don't know if you remember Amy, I um, can't remember what year, but um, Charles Leclerc in Monaco, um, I think he made, he tried to... Um, either catch up or get to the pits too quickly um, on a really blistered tyre and it just exploded and it's all like in tatters around the wheel. It just looks so funny. So yeah, keep an eye out for that if anyone does that in the future. But yeah, tyres are an absolutely like almost like a pinnacle thing really whether someone's going to do well or not. So you need to have a good tyre strategy. Yeah, they're absolutely crucial. So that is the end of this podcast episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you do have any questions um, about Formula One that you want to know, we can do another episode like this. Just let us know on our Instagram or we have our email um, in the description. And we will be back with you guys for another episode next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. Bye.